Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Good morning, gardening friends. Bit bro this morning, huh? I hope everyone is uh, going all right out there. We are ready to roll. Uh, when you phone in today, you're speaking with Peter Kelly. This is his first time on the phones for the gardening show, so please support him. And John Glidden, chief researcher, quiz master, and garden show chef extraordinaire, is assisting the show as always for us. Now, big shout out to Alan Simons for starting. The weekend in uh, Alan Simon's style, of course. And Alan will be back on Monday between 9 and 12 noon if you need or want more of Alan Simon's. Peter Kelly looked after Alan today too, so I think he's rather courageous doing a double header and looking after the garden show now. And, of course, our cycling DJ Jim Crinan wrapped up the breakfast show with his cycling report. Jim returns next Saturday. And, hey, hasn't Jim been a great find for the station all these years doing the cycling show and now presenting music as well? You become a little multi-talented in this station. It's just the well, way community rolls. Some do, yeah. some don't. I haven't, my role hasn't changed at all, Ray. We can work on that. Yeah, you can jump on this side if you like. Yeah, it could be no, thank good you. fun. You do a great job. Uh, sometimes, sometimes, but how's your week been? Well, it's been a wet week, hasn't it? Little, little bit cold, some yeah. breaks of sunshine. The slime mould's been creeping, so that's all good. I found yeah. some new ones. So. I'm just... I'm just um, can't believe it's only been 3.4 mils because I know earlier in the week we were braced for 20 mils, I think. Well, I think when the cold air came down and the moisture mm. came up, I know at our place it turned to frost. Yeah. And it was mighty chilly. And talking to a few people at the launch of the open garden season yesterday, yeah, when I said, how are your gardens looking? Yeah. A lot of the answers were weedy. Yes, and I thought, yes. oh, okay, I feel not so alone now. But the weeds are actually blanketing and protecting some of the garden, so I'm not in a hurry to make everything bare, bare earth yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, okay, pick your... Pick your fights. Apparently there was a bobtail out earlier in the week as well. Goodness me. And you were saying you've had a couple of cornflowers open up. Yes. So, gosh, that's quite early. And I know daffodils have been popping up and jonquils, obviously. Jonquils are really uh, an early season Mm. flower. So, to me, that's no surprise. I Mm. haven't haven't seen a lot of the others burst Mm. into bloom, although... Mm. The different lacanalias I've got, they're starting to spot flower and open up. So mm. they're looking pretty close. So yeah. there's, I love bulbs, you know. Yeah. They look after themselves all year. It doesn't matter if they get blanketed in weeds, as long as they they pop their heads up at the right time. But they just hang in there and come to life when they're ready. 
Yeah. It's such a surprise to find them. <laughs> okay, now let's talk gardening is sponsored by Garden in a Bag. Free delivery when buying six bags or more. Search Garden in a Bag. Now today's show, we have our special guest coming in at 20 to 9, Karina Knight. Now this is uh, phase in heaven because she is the research associate, associate sorry, at the WA Herbarium. And we're talking about slime mold identification and then the appreciation sweeping the world when we get to learn about The Blob, <laughs> a sci-fi movie based on an element of truth in a garden near you. I like that. We are held into suspenders until Karina <laughs> joins us. Yeah. Suspense, right? Yes, no, I'm being cheeky. And uh, 20 past eight, we're chatting with compostable Kate. She is an author, Kate Flood, and she's brought out a book that's just been released called The Compost Coach. And yes, we're giving it away as well as our other prizes to $75 gift vouchers from both Green Life Soil Co. and Bigger Trees. Now, speaking of Bigger Trees, I don't think we're going to Margaret because there's no one on that line. Uh, however, uh, Margaret is saying uh, she won a voucher about a month ago uh, and she got a mango and she planted it into her son's orchard and she's loving it and thanking us for the voucher. So thanks, Margaret. We're happy that you're happy and that you got a chance to go up and visit Bigger Trees because I know you'll go back. Uh, fabulous spot to buy your fruit trees. Uh, now, Caroline Dianella would like to speak about a lime tree. Good morning, Caroline. How are you? Morning, ladies. How are you all this morning? Hi, good. good. Thanks, Caroline. Very crisp. Yes, it very, is. very brisk. Yes, yes. I, I managed to get one of those sweet limes from that fellow last week. I gave oh. a donation and went and picked up a sweet lime. Did you give us a donation to the station? Because I tell you what, I've got some more to give away this morning. Uh, he tells me he's oh. still got about five left. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, it's... It, Leaves have looked like peach curl on them. Oh, really? Well, that yeah. that what that's do I do quite, about that? Well, a citrus tree it could be the citrus leaf miner. Oh, right. Okay. I personally, Caroline, I like, just mm. I just nip them off. The whole tree. Only over the tips. The new right. growth. It's the whole tree. All right, please send me a photo and I'll have a look. Yeah, I have a citrus spray here. Is that what you use on it? Well, if I can identify yeah, what, it, what, what it, it is. is, then I can yeah. advise you on what what it is and how to treat it. Okay, some of them are completely curled around. Some of them are just distorted. You know, the leaves look like they've grown one side but not the other side. All right, please send me a photo and I'll look into it further. Okay, lovely. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Caroline. Thanks. Bye. And, okay, speaking of, Jeff did contact me yesterday to say that he had six more plants or five or six more plants that he did want to give away. Um, citrus, there's something like limatoides or something like that. I can't pronounce it. They're in 20-litre bags. They are a sweet lime, excellent for eating and cooking. Uh, they've been grafted with Ranger lime rootstock and apparently are prolific fruiters. About one to one and a half to 1.2 metres tall. Um, Jeff said that the trees will come with information, the flyers, and any advice. So perhaps um, she could be asking Jeff about the problem as mm. well. And so that's in Canningvale. That he's located in Canningvale. Now, what um, Jeff asks for in return, if you would like to access 
uh, these plants is that you make a donation to Radiothon or to the radio station on behalf of Radiothon. This will be the last time that I actually mention it. So we have about five trees uh, to give away. This is through Jeff in Canningvale. If you would like details, um, give us a call at now and uh, Peter, sorry, I had to think then. Peter will uh, pass you on the details, um, mobile or an email address to uh, contact you directly with Jeff. And uh, yeah, there's, as I say at the end of the day, perhaps there are, I've got a couple of small issues. I don't know. We haven't seen them. Mm. The best we, we can will do. Wait and see. We'll investigate further. Okay. All right. Uh, now we shall carry on. What is next for our current? Oh, let's do some emails, right? Going to knock them over. We have received an email thanks to Kay. She is a member of the Orchid Society of WA and she phoned in after the show last week to let us know about the Orchid uh, display and workshop that's on this weekend. It's on tomorrow, but she's given me a bit of history as well, which I love. Uh, so she said in... The display started many years ago where the orchid societies of WA would meet and put their plants on display. They competed for a hubcap. This hubcap is still the trophy to win today. This is a friendly rivalry between the orchid societies in WA. At this event, there will be benched orchid plants, displays designed to a theme, talks, plants for sale and refreshments. The theme for the displays is yesterday, today and tomorrow. I hope that you'll be able to mention this. And we did actually mention it last week as well. So it's on tomorrow and it is 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock at the Manning Community Centre to Conakey Crescent in Manning. Now, actually, if you go around the back of that building, there is undercover parking and mm. there's a lift that mm. takes you up. It's yeah, it's a beautiful building. Yeah. It's often where we, we have the Ferns the Society. Ferns, Palms. Uh, and I think the succulents have been there as well. Mm. Yeah. I'm so sure you mentioned great... that last week. I did. You did. I did. I, kn- yeah. I already knew about it because yeah. I was asked. And So that's uh, happening tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. Nine to three at the Manning Community Centre. And, of course, tomorrow, the first Sunday of the month, the Fern Society are also meeting at two o'clock at the Manning Senior Citizens Hall, corner of Lay and Downey. Members are welcome. They're having an AGM. There will be plants for sale and uh, pots and fertiliser and hangers and all sorts of goodies at good prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sounds sounds good. So people can go along to that too if they'd yes. like to join up, become a member. And the AGM is all always very quick. And then John Banner-Savage, the president, is talking about uh, some of his favourite ferns or plants. Oh, how does he decide that? Yeah. <laughs> well, when you've got yes. like, yeah, I don't know if it, you know, uh, those I that have seen his uh, sometimes property. it's it's a memory yeah. from the person who's given it to him, or mm. you know, I remember for a while there he started collecting elk horns and he started numbering them, so he could tell you, and they were labelled as well, who they were from and when they were from, and they got numbers now. At one count, I know he was up to 70-something, and he's pretty sure that they were all different varieties. Mm-hmm. Mm. So uh, that man's obsessed. He, mm. uh, well, takes one to know one, doesn't it? 
Yes. Mm. <laughs> you could trade off with your mould and fungi, fungi interests, couldn't you? I could. I could. Mm. I've got people around the world actually looking at my photos, trying to work out what some of them are, because what I thought was moon poo might not be. It might be a different variety that we have here. So that will go under Karina's microscope. Okay, very exciting for Caro. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to giggle, but it is kind of funny. All right, now we do have free lines if you'd like to chat with us, 94841927. And don't forget our gardening email. You can send us an email. is gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Now, last weekend we had a great show and we were inspired yeah. by Denise Sobara. Oh, yes. Denise's plants and she is having... Uh, plants out next weekend. Mm. Um, Gail had asked about the identification of a salvia, a photo that she sent through, and the salvia was salvia leucantha. It's a, like a velvety purple flower, Yeah, and that was gorgeous. I had replied in an email, but not sure if she picked that up. Now, Denise did send us through a lot of photos, and I have this morning put them on the Let's Talk Garden. Oh, have you? Facebook I have, page. have a look yes. at that. Okay, yes. oh, Drop dead gorgeous, Ray. Oh, my God. Mm. Yeah, and John was going to add a link to Denise's page. So okay, cool. People could find out more about the the plant sale next weekend. Mm. I wonder if she's selling clematis there. Because that's one of mm. her specialties. I did Don't not see, any. see mm. plants. Um, it wasn't one of the ones she sent through, but there again, if they're not flowering now, maybe... Maybe not. I'm not not sure. Yeah, okay. All right, you know what? Um, I'm going to give away one of our $75 gift vouchers. We've got a chat coming up at 20 past. We're chatting to Kate Flood, who is uh, known as Compostable, <laughs> Compostable Kate. Uh, she is the author of The Compost Coach. It's a fantastic book. Faye and I are staring at it. It's a big book. Uh, and so we're going to be giving that away. Of course, you would, because of the size of it, have to collect that from the station. Meanwhile, we're going to give away a $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook. You must be a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. As you know... Um, Bigger trees. We do. We do mention them each week. We hear from uh, listeners who have been fortunate enough to win a voucher and what they've actually bought. Uh, the goodies that they've come back with. Uh, it's a great place just to go for a fabulous stroll. And I was reading Kerry's Facebook comments, and she says that blossoms are starting to emerge on some fruiting trees and also some flowering trees and the camellias are still giving beautiful displays. I've got to get myself a camellia. I've just oh. been walking around my neighbourhood admiring, admiring. I love the red. Mm. And they're just looking spectacular. There is a red, I'm pretty sure it's called the Tsar and it has a very mm. big bloom. I've got to get one. I seriously mm. do. Now, she's also up at Bigger. They've got a new supply of citrus. Um, I'll click quickly read through what's new in so do bear with me this might tickle your fancy we've got dwarf taroko rosso blood orange woohoo maltese blood orange maya lemon and lemonade tahitian lime okitsu mandarin red grapefruit imperial mandarin chinotto kaffir lime a lot of people often looking for kaffir lime clementine mandarin and limotta sweet lime Jerick Limo line, loads of lemons, Washington navel, and a new release of variety of Sumo Mandarin. Mulberry trees also loaded with 
fruit. So as you can hear, there's a lot going on at Bigger Trees and uh, they do deliver across the metro area if that's of interest to you. You can learn more at biggertrees.com.au and uh, check out their Facebook page uh, for, for updates. Here's your question. This is an easy one. You must, of course, be a Curtin FM member, as I've already mentioned. Finish the title of the 1968 song by the Foundations, Build Me Up. Finish the title of the 1968 song by the Foundations, Build Me Up. What comes next? Give Peter a call right now on 94841927. Okay, we shall return. You are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. It's 23 minutes after eight. Now, we talked about a fabulous book that we are giving away this morning uh, called The Compost Coach. And we have the author of The Compost Coach online with us right now. We're talking to Compostable, Compostable <laughs> Kate. How I can't get the word out. Kate, I'll use. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. You're with Ray and Faye. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're Faye's flicking through your book as we're speaking. It's a fabulous book. It looks like it's absolutely chock-a-block with information. It's very detailed. It is detailed. And, you know, I think I freaked my publisher out a little bit because they were predicting that I would write 40,000 words and I my manuscript was 90,000 words. Oh, my goodness. So much to say, but yeah. that was edited down to 70. So it really answers every compost and regenerative gardening question I think you could possibly have. Well, I'm going to start because my question to you yes. is <laughs> I grabbed uh, some soil or compost, I don't know if I'd call it compost, out of my bins. I have six-foot lengths of metal sheeting and I just yep. chuck everything in there, everything from the gutters, which is gum leaves, uh, to the weedy weeds right now. And I layer and layer and layer, food scraps, there's worms in there, etc. Now, that's been breaking down for a long time. I got an ice cream container of soil out of there the other day and I put it under a microscope. But I didn't see a lot of things in there. Do you reckon I'm doing it right or how do people know if they're doing it right? Look, I, that's interesting, and it's it's depending on the stage of decomposition. Um, there's different uh, life forms, microscopic life forms that proliferate a compost bin. Um, once compost has really aged and matured and mellow, which sounds like that was the state your compost is in, um, there's less really active life because there's less food sources. Oh. Uh, but having said that, you do want to have your compost is like. Um, uh, a big hit of life to your soil and that yeah. the life in your compost actually is what helps your plants access nutrients. So if there wasn't a whole heap of um, little microscopic mini beasts in there, then you might be getting the balance of ingredients slightly wrong. Mm, okay. If, um, what I also do is throw in any empty pot. So there's quite a bit of potting mix that goes into it. Yes. And that's... So potting- Oh, sorry, that, go on. That, that's what it looked like. It looked like a, a rich potting mix. Yes. Well, it can be the case that's a commercial potting mix. There's a bit of a cautionary tale with it. Um, commercial potting mix can contain some persistent herbicides and pesticides and also this 
forever chemical that we're hearing more and more about, um, which is called, well, the letters stand for PFAS. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dirty word with Faye. Yeah. PFAS. Oh, I know. And the reason is the waste stream that ends up in um, in commercial composting facilities is not, even in organic facilities, it's not vetted as much as it should be. Is that um, so? That's, that's very, yeah, yeah. very um, relative, Devastating. Inf- relative information, Kate. Yeah. 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 Well, look, it's, we've got a lovely mob. I live on in the Bigger Valley and we've got a great mob of sort of a grassroots commercial composting facility. They're called Ocean to Earth Compost. Mm. And, you know, I sort of, I say to people, you need to know the person that's making your compost as well as, you know, the person that's growing your food because what can end up in commercial compost is, um, so there's this other chemical called amino pyrolid, which is a broadleaf herbicide. And there was a big study that showed, well, big sort of controversy in 2020, just as there was all of these new COVID gardeners who'd never gardened before. Yeah. All of their plants were dying and their soil was, was really unhappy. And that they traced it back to the Sioux, the, the big um, mob of compost makers. They were using waste that was contaminated with this, this herbicide. And it's a persistent herbicide that actually gets exacerbated through the composting process. And also a lot of um, manufactured paper products, if they end up in commercial compost, um, they that's what often does contain PFAS. So you do need to be a little bit careful about adding commercial products like that into your own home composting system because then you can be introducing these pesticides and herbicides and chemicals that the life in your compost is not going to like. Gee well, that's okay. that's a whole nother story sure in my is. case, but yeah. we aren't going down that rabbit hole right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go back. The moral of the story is anything that you can collect from your own backyard yeah. or, you know, from, from yeah, some, something that you've grown yourself. You know what you've put on your plants. Well, but Kate, that- I, I just have to let you in on a little secret because our yes. situation is that our soil water, our groundwater is contaminated by PFAS. So yes. we, we probably won't talk about that now, but let's just talk about the good stuff in compost for everyone else. And the good stuff really comes from, you know, when you're actually looking at your local area and thinking, oh, should I put that in the green waste bin or can I return it to my soil? Like that's, I like to encourage people to shop their own backyard Mm -hmm. rather than go out Mm -hmm. to to hardware stores. And also the thing that I really always like to emphasize because I help lots of people make compost. And so often I hear, my compost is stinky. You know, there's lots of flies, what's going wrong? And so often it's because, um, when people are thinking about shopping their backyard or shopping their kitchen for scraps, there's always an emphasis on adding food waste to compost, which we know we have to do because if food waste ends up in landfill, it turns mm. into climate poison. But you need to balance those nitrogen-rich food scraps with carbon. And I feel like the, <laughs> the alternative name of my book could have just been Add Carbon because that's something that so few people do. And carbon things that you can add into your carbon-rich materials that you can add into your compost, the things like um, your leaves that you're talking about, so your gum leaves that are in gutters, um, your ripped up shredded paper, and you can actually check P- the, if there's PFAS on there, and I explain that simple test that you use Just olive oil to test it. <coughs> looking at that page oh, right okay. now. Mm. Yes, yeah, because I, really, I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't producing this compost Bible and then 
steering people in the wrong direction. So it was a really, uh, you know, I did a lot of research to, to get to that point so that I could guide people along each step of the way. But yeah, adding carbon is, is so important um, because that balances all of the nitrogen so that we have the proliferation of aerobic microbes. Yeah. Um, and then you will have sweet smelling compost that's great for your garden. Mm. Oh, so interesting. Well, and there's different ways of composting, isn't there? Like, well, absolutely, yes. Do, would you like yes. to explain that? What What's yeah, going to be yeah. easy for someone, say, in an apartment? I really love it's a pre-composting system called Bakashi compost. Yeah. This is a style of cementing food waste that originated in Japan and, you know, lots of, not to be stereotypical, but lots of Japanese houses have got a great Japanese friend that lives in Tokyo and her house and kitchen is tiny. So they were designed for people without backyard. Um, And what they rely on is you get an inoculated medium of usually wheat bran and that bran has been, had microbes added to it, a special um, selection of microbes, a lot of it's lactobacillus and yeast. And it's kind of like making sauerkraut with your food waste. So you add that into your Bakashi bucket along with any scraps. And it's really, it's, it's, Bakashi is great because it's flexible. You can add in meat and bones and dairy and citrus and spicy foods and oily foods. Anything can go in. Um, and those specially selected microbes cement your food. And then if you live in a, you can also keep your Bakashi bucket indoors if you live in an apartment. Then you need to process it. So once the lid is closed, you leave it to ferment for a couple of weeks. And traditionally in Japan, they would dig a hole and bury those scraps directly in the garden. But if you don't have a garden, you can process it in what's called a soil factory, which very simply is just a tub that you get some soil from a mate and put some soil in the tub, pour your bakashi in, put a bit more soil on top, and you can make compost in your living room in that way. But you can also make it in a number of different ways like that. But yeah. I just, Bakashi is super flexible. Um, I should also mention for apartment dwellers the Share Waste app. So it's a free global app that um, was created by two Sydney siders and they were living in an apartment themselves and they had lots of food waste because they have two small children um, and they didn't have compost bins. So they created this app that connects people that have compost bins with people that have scraps. And you can become a donor to someone that lives in your local area and donate your scraps to them. Yeah, how good is that? Yeah, It's it's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. And it depends on where you live. Where I was a compost um, host, they're called, when I lived in Sydney, and I had lots of people contributing to my compost. But now here in the Beaker Valley, people have a lot more space, so have their own composting facility. So there's not that many of the compost hosts or donors around here but in some areas it's so worth checking on the share waste app because you can it depending on where you live you really can find people that are so ecstatic to get your food scraps yeah yeah and uh, uh, so you one. you you really are very very passionate about our soil and enriching our soil uh, look i am because i just think that you know we all have soil below our feet yeah. And we've all treated soil like dirt for yeah. too long. Yeah. And, mm. you know, we, there's actually so much we don't know about the soil. The fact yes. that you can get a teaspoon of soil and there is literally a billion things uh, living in there. Matthew Evans has written the wonderful yes. book, Named yeah. Soil. Yeah. And, 
he breaks down some of the things that are living in a teaspoon of soil and it's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing, yes. Yeah, it really is. And so I think for anyone that is interested in growing plants or for anyone that's interested in growing food, need to think about the medium that it's growing in first. And that, that's, you know, that, that is soil. Or maybe you're making your own homemade potting mixes, which I share in my book as well. You know, there's, there's lots of different ways that we can really respect and uh, feed our soil with yeah. organic matter that's going to ultimately be healthy for us as well. Because if we're growing our food um, in soil that's rich with nutrients, then we're eating those nutrients too. Yeah, imagine creating your own soil, growing your own food in it. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, I think one yeah. of the most important things that people should or shouldn't do is put any organic scraps in their green bin when they can yeah. use them at home, turn them into something else. So what, Absolutely. what can and can't you put into a compost? Well, I am a little bit of a no-rules composter because I, my attitude is anything that was once alive, can be composted and composted safely. Uh, and I go through, the, there's, there's different methods and methodologies for doing that. So things like meat, for instance, we, we eat meat in our household. Um, and so we end up with things like bones or little bits of gristle. Um, and people would think that that's a bit of a compost no-no because it can attract rodents. Um, yeah. And also it can, it can, if you don't compost safely and well, it can um, spread salmonella or um, E. coli in your compost as well. But if you hot compost it, um, you can actually capture those nutrients and return them to your soil. So I explain how to hot compost because it's one of those like dark arts of compost making, the fact that you can add organic material into your composting system and then the compost itself, because of the thermophilic microbes in there, actually gets to a temperature of between 55 to 60 degrees, so super hot. So you can add those those materials that are more of a compost no-no into that because it's it's you know at a, a temperature that kills any bad pathogens. Um, it's yeah, com- hot composting is addictive, but it's also a little bit tricky. So that's I give a step by step guide to that. Um, other compost knows are things like citrus. So people often think no, you can't compost citrus, yeah. and the reason that it's a bit of a myth, but the reason why that has that information has been spread is because citrus contains an enzyme called limonin and composting worms can eat a little bit of that enzyme, but if they eat a lot of it, they will die. Mm. Um, But compost microbes are totally fine breaking down citrus. So don't add your citrus into your worm farm, add it into your regular composting Uh bin and you won't have any problems with it. Yeah, okay. And is this your first book, Kate? It is my first book and it was written at a pretty wild time in my life because I have three small children. So I was waking up at 4am but it was really, it's been such a great process and uh, you know when you're introducing me as the author I still don't know if I've quite come to terms with the fact that I actually have written the book that's out of the sale Um, because I'm a trained high school teacher and I'm a food tech teacher so I used to really struggle with the fact that I would be teaching these young adults um, how to cook food and then at the end of the lesson all of these scraps would go into landfill into the rubbish bin and I would take so many of the scraps home myself but I told it a big Sydney school that had a thousand kids so I couldn't take it all home Mm. um 
And that was a big part of my um, real push to think, no, this is this composting is a life skill that we it all is. need to know. Yeah. Um, and there are some <laughs> tips and tricks to, to get it right, but it's not rocket science. Everyone can do it successfully. Well, I hope that school now has introduced composting systems, have they, Kate? <laughs> well, I don't teach there anymore. Mm-hmm. But the main, the main reason, and they, they, it was a wonderful school, but they had tried composting in the past and all of their compost bins, it was an inner west school, had filled up with rodents. So oh. I've got a big section about how to vermin-proof your compost bins because where I live now, I know that there is the occasional rattlemouth. We've got lots of chickens, um, but I have never, ever, ever seen any vermin in my compost bins because I apply rodent and snake-proof mesh to the bottom of my... They're like the Dalek-style bins that sit on the ground, so they're nice and enclosed. And I also the Kashi compost all of our food waste and I found that rodents once the food waste is fermented are really not interested in your food scraps mm-hmm. um, so you can you can make rat and mouse free compost and yeah look I actually well, I'm going to give a copy of my book to my lovely old school and if they're not composting yet I reckon once they've read my book they will yeah and did you just wake up one day and decide I'm going to write a book what was the inspiration behind this <laughs> No, it was actually in, in, in COVID. I took extended time yeah. off because I had a new baby um, and I really wanted to find ways that I could continue my climate activism yeah. um, while stuck at home. And so I created an Instagram account, which I, as a teacher I'd never had because, you know, so much of the issues that we had with, yeah. with our students often came from social media. Yeah. But I created it to teach people how to compost and also how to grow food in, in urban settings. Um, and it just took off, and that's where my lovely publishing um, house found me through my Instagram account. Um, oh. And and so I call myself instead of being an influencer, I call myself a influencer. A influencer, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, that's gorgeous. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it all came from from there, and it was really it's been really so much work, but really hugely rewarding. Oh, I can see that. This book looks absolutely incredible, Kate. You've uh, done an amazing job. And I think, as you say, it's everything is in it. Everything you need to know is oh. in this book. Yeah, and it's only just released, just come out in the last week, hot off the yes, press. it came out on Tuesday. we um, Well, and yes. that's about when it turned up in, on my doorstep, which Brilliant. was a lovely surprise. <laughs> oh, I hope you enjoy it because I want, you know, I wanted it to be beautiful that was something i became really good friends with my photographer um Mm. throughout the process because she's obsessed with compost as well and i think i just see the beauty in in waste transforming into soil so few people do so i wanted it to be a really visual beautiful book as well as highly informative um so that people fell in love with with this process because once you do start composting i do think it's a little bit addictive but it's definitely a a healthy addiction to have well what i think kate is people have a go and something goes wrong i I think they kind of need a coach and so maybe maybe we can encourage our listeners out there to to get going and i'll i'll do it too i'll set up a new compost system and let's work through it together and let's get you back and have you on air where we can talk to the listeners and find out what problems they're having and coach them through it, kind of hold their hands and get them to stop putting that organic waste into the bins because we don't need to. If you're a gardener, 
It needs to go in your garden. Let's learn how yes. to do it together and I better. I would love to do that. I, I sometimes I do that with um, a couple of other radio shows, and I I call myself a compost. Agony aunt, because you know, they used to be yeah. in, in those those girl teenage magazines, people would write in with their love life questions. Yeah. People can ask me all of their all of their compost questions. Well, it makes yeah. sense. Well, yeah. and what we will do then, John can compile some of the the chats that we have and put them into yeah. a compilation and put them up as a podcast. Yeah, that would be brilliant. I'd love to be involved because really we all need to be composting. Yes. Um, for so many reasons. That's yes. a, a call to action to all our listeners out there. Get composting. Yeah, love it. Thank you for this book, uh, Kate. We're going to give it to one lucky listener uh, very, very shortly. And we appreciate, uh, obviously, yeah, the information that you've uh, imparted with us this morning and the opportunity to speak with you has been absolutely delightful. And we wish you all the very best with this launch. Oh, thank you. And, uh, we certainly encourage, personally encourage uh, people to go out and grab this book. It's uh, yeah, it's lovely. It's a it Bible, is a beautiful it? looking yeah. book. Yes, as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted it to be the compost Bible because you know I actually I've been composting for about twenty years myself, and I I wanted a book like this when, yes. when I first started. Yes. Yes. This is this is so. what you wanted. You've created it. Totally. Yeah. yeah yes, I get exactly that. right. Oh, well yeah. done. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thanks for chatting. It was lovely. You take Thanks, care. Kate. Thank you, Kate. You- Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. All right. We shall return. And it's a quarter to nine. Coming up at 9am will be the news. You are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. We just had a really super-duper interview with Compostable Kate, the author of The Compost Coach. Now, we have this magnificent book. And we're going to give it away to a Curtin FM listener. All we ask is that you are a member and have not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. You must be able to collect this book if you would like it. The lines are already jumping. If you would like it, give Peter a call now on 94841927. And this magnificent book is yours, The Compost Coach. I'm just passing it over to you guys. It's just it's quite heavy, isn't it? It is, yes. And it's, it's just it's full of photos information. And My goodness. Everything yeah. from amoebas to PFAS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> I know. Mm. And we do have a winner of us for our $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees. The question was, finish the title of the 1968 song by the Foundations, Build Me Up. Of course, the next word was buttercup. All right, Linda of Naranda won that. Good on you, Linda. A voucher is on its way to you this week. Do let us know what you get up to and what you think of Bigger Trees. And the buttercups are blooming in the bush at the moment, the beautiful yellow flowers, Herbertia species, and they're a magnet to little insects, particularly little green beetles. So look out for them. But look with your magnifying glass too because they're small. Yes, now... We have been joined in the studio by our special guest this morning, uh, Karina Knight. Good morning. Good morning, Ray. Sounds funny saying that. Karina Knight, good morning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you're the research associate at the WA Herbarium, and we have had you in the studio with us. Not for some time, though. Thank uh, you for having me last time. It's great to be in again Thank you for joining us. Now, you were just saying you're going to be doing a conference very, very soon in Estonia. That's right. Would you believe it that slime mould people gather every three years to have a little chat about slime mould? So they should. And this year they're meeting in Estonia, which I have to admit I hadn't even heard of that country prior (laughs) to 
being invited to the conference. How exciting. Absolutely. And um, so I'll be going in uh, towards the end of this month and um, they asked me to present about slime moulds that are occurring in Australia and the interesting findings uh, that are here. And um, I'm really looking forward to it because we do have some really interesting slime moulds here that the Northern Hemisphere people are beginning to realise that Australia's slime mould flora is very different to the Northern Hemisphere. Okay. So, how, how did they find that out, Karina? Well, there's this Facebook page called the Slime Mould Identification and Appreciation Facebook page, and every now and then I will post something on that page saying, oh, for goodness sake, I don't know what this is. And yeah. it's, of course, an international Facebook page. Everybody's looking all around the world, including mm. a number of specialists. And they've had a look at um, some of the images and said, oh, this is interesting. We don't really know what this is. Mm. And uh, this is how it is that, that the world of Australian slime molds is expanding. But also Sarah Lloyd in Tasmania has been studying them for about 10 years. And uh, she they're finding some very interesting st- uh, slime molds in Tasmania. In fact, at the conference, they're going to present a new genus. Wow, that's Tasmania. big. It is big. What does that mean, though? What does it mean for the listeners mm, out there to wrap their call. heads around that's it? That's a good question. It yeah. means it's a grouping of slime molds that have never been seen before. Um, so I'm, how shall I put this? I'm Karina Knight. I'm from the family of Knight, but my name is Karina. So these, this is now a new family, basically. It's not family, it's actually a genus. Uh, and um, what they're saying is, there's something we've never seen before, this grouping of slime moulds, and so we're going to give it a name. And they're going to call it uh, Tasmanio Mixer, mm. also occurring in New Zealand. So, And, and the benefit of, of discovering this? Well, the thing is that it's interesting. Slime moulds have been on the earth for at least 100 million years, and yet mm. there's only 1,000 species. Mm. And if you consider... That you know of. That we yeah. know of. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's 10% <coughs> of them... Mm. In, in Perth. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Wow. Um, and so uh, you would think that there would be very many more slime molds. Now, most of the research that's been done in slime molds is in the Northern Hemisphere, in fact, squashed into Europe and America. So they know their slime molds better than Australia. Australia, they're only just realising, is on the planet. And um, we've never had uh, researchers based in Australia, and so we've not been able to study and present what we've got here. So finally, we've got some people here who know what they're doing, starting to collaborate with the uh, experts in the Northern Hemisphere and realising that Australia's flora is very different. Um, And so, okay, there's a thousand species, a slime mold species in the world, I think that once uh, Australia is exposed, there are going to be many, 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 many more species. Mm, uh, mm. And so the one found in Tasmania is just one of those. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. But on top of that, you've you've been looking into this for how many years? How did you get into it and oh, tell us? That's right. <laughs> so um, I think uh, uh, previously I worked at the West Australian Herbarium. We have a volunteer program. One of our volunteers got really keen on slime moulds. Uh, and she studied them for a number of years, and so the, together we wrote a census of slime molds in Western Australia. Now, I didn't have time to get into slime molds, but I've always been really interested in the small things like slime molds, fun- small fungi, moss, liverworts, etc. Uh, but when I did this uh, uh, census with Margaret, I thought, you know, I really like these, but I don't have time. So it wasn't until uh, about 2015 that I thought, well, let's see if I can start studying these things. Um, 
whilst I was still working. Um, mm. But four years on, I went, oh, stuff the work. I'm just going to study slime moulds. And that's, that's what went that's with what your occurred. heart. I went with my heart, but Good I followed you. somebody else who showed me what these organisms were. Yeah. Um, and she was completely self-taught and I'm completely self-taught. Um, and all the other mixo experts in Australia are completely self-taught. Yeah, because, I mean, who could teach them? Nobody down it's, here. That's that's the thing. It's not in the curriculum anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, all right, we are taking gardening calls, of course, 94841927. And don't forget, you can email your questions to us this morning as well, gardening at curtainfm.com.au. And um, Jim Crinan has called in regarding his roses, and he has white scale on the canes. What is it? I've, I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, is it harmful? It could be the cottony cushion scale, but Ray, we need to go to a break, yep. so I'll answer that on the other side. Okie dokie. Curtain Radio in and you're, we are back, not you're back. Well, we're all back. You're with Ray and Faye with Let's Talk Gardening, and we have Karina Knight, Research Associate at the WA Herbarium. We're talking about all things around slime mould this morning with Karina as well. Just getting back to our question from Jim Crinan. He has white scale on the canes. What is it? Is it harmful? How does he treat it? And it is hard and dry scale. And I was saying to you off air, I've had that. If it is, if it's dry and when you rub it and flick it, it just comes away, it it possibly is dead. Mm. If it's gooey and you press it between your fingers and it, there's liquids come out, it's still alive. So, of course, now is rose pruning time. Yeah. And a lot of people will choose to, to apply a copper spray or a lime sulfur. Mm. Uh, I am not of that school of thought. If anything, I might do eco oil, which would also help uh, with insects, but... My concern is more for the soil. Yeah. Um, but an eco oil or the lime sulfur or a copper spray will cover scale. Fix that. And up. then go back and check. Um, so because you're pruning, you remove a lot of the infestation possibly. So you've then got less to spray. But mm. look for pests and diseases. Check the backs of your leaves as well for mm. little yellow dots, which could be. Ladybird lava. I um I had that on one of my roses last year, and there was no other problems. It, and I only really noticed it when I pruned the rose, and you know the leaves were stripped away off the branches, off the stems. Then I saw it exactly what Jim is describing. Didn't seem to be a problem. Right, hasn't affected exactly. It. And mm. some of the scale are so fine that they look like part of the bark, so you yeah, almost very wouldn't much so. notice them. Mm. But it's really hard for me to identify which scale it is without a photo. And I, I would love to see photos so I know what is out there. Yeah. So if, yeah. if you or Jim I'll, or anyone I'll else has get got a photo, because I, I like to know what I'm talking about Yeah. Yeah. rather than just um, guessing. Yeah. So, Jim, get yeah. a photo of that as well, love. Thank you. And now Kevin from Lockridge, he's 87 years old. Good on you, Kevin. Enjoyed the compost session. He thinks someone should start a business collecting people's waste and the suggested name for that business would be the Compostinator. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Good on you, Kevin. You're very clever. And uh, we agree with you, actually. Now, we do have a winner of the book, The Compost Coach. Uh, Anne of Warnborough, you lucky duck. Uh, the book is yours, my love. And, uh, yeah, just make your way to the station between Monday and Friday. Ideally get here before 4 p.m., between 9 and 4, 
nine to two would be better for you or make a time to come and collect the book with reception, uh, you're not going to be disappointed with that. Okay, and can we repeat the name of the book? Yes, it's called The Compost Coach and it's by Kate Flood. Okay, The Compost Coach by Kate Flood. Mm. Just released on Tuesday. So hot off the press. Right. So, Karina, carrying on, um, I, I know your history, and before you was a lady that had, had studied slime moulds that you learnt a bit about to help you on your journey. Tell us tell us who came before you and what they achieved. Uh, so we're talking about Margaret Brims? Yes. Yes. So Margaret Brims was, a, was an amazing lady. She didn't even know what a slime mould was until she was 64. <sighs> so that's quite remarkable. So um, you can teach an old dog new tricks, new folks. Tricks, if yeah. you want to learn something, just you get into it. You can learn it. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened was she found a, uh, a little red blob on a, on a bit of moss and she didn't know what it was and brought it to the herbarium and asked a few people there. And finally, they decided it was a slime mould. Now, she was very interested in fungi before that, and she was helping curate the fungi collection. But once she saw a slime mould, that was it. She was she was uh, hooked. You know, down a like, rabbit hey, hole. Don't you? <laughs> I do. And from then on, she looked in the herbarium, and there were only like twenty specimens in the herbarium, and so she just went looking. And of course, slime moulds are everywhere. So she just looked everywhere, and she found them. She also started the moist chamber technique, where you just piece of bring a piece of bark home pop it in a moist chamber and just see what grows. This is a time of year where unused Tupperware comes out of the cupboard. I was about to say, explain what a moist chamber is and how you can create one for those that are interested. There are two ways of doing a moist chamber. One is you find a piece of bark with maybe the feeding stage on it, such as um, the plasmodium, which can be quite coloured. So you can sometimes find them on leaves in the leaf litter bark uh, uh, in the... the, um, in the leaf litter as well. Take it home, put it on in a Tupperware container if you like with a bit of uh, um, paper towel at the bottom moistened and just yeah, see uh-huh. if that plasmodium will grow into the fruiting body. Or as I did the other day in my little Blue Gum Lake Reserve, I saw a very old, old dryandra tree. Oh, I should call that Banksia, Banksia tree. Uh, and um, I thought, gosh, I wonder what slime molds are growing on that bark. So what I did was just remove some of the bark from the tree about uh, my head height. It can be any height, but I just removed it from head height, brought it home, soaked it for 24 hours in some water, and then just put the bit of bark on the on some paper towel in a plastic Tupperware container or a, a takeaway food container, put the lid on, just left it on the bench, and then over the preceding week just to see what would grow. Hmm. And um, four species popped up pretty oh, well immediately. My goodness. That's exactly right. And I think because the bark is rough, the spores can get uh, uh, trapped in there. But also the tree is so old, so it's been trapping spores oh. for a long time. And and these things do grow on this bark. Um, it's not like they've the spores have flown from the ground. If it's going to grow on bark, it'll grow on bark. It won't grow on leaf litter just because that's all that's there. They're quite specific about, about what they want what to grow on. What they want to host on. That's right. Okay. All right, we shall talk on the other side of the news. It's 9 a.m. Well, the temperature has doubled in the last hour. It's now 10.1, mostly sunny today, heading for a maximum of 19. The humidity has dropped to 70%. You can expect another chilly night. The minimum overnight will be 7, maximum tomorrow of 21, mostly sunny. And looking ahead till Monday, minimum overnight of 10 and a 
partly cloudy day with a maximum of 23. So far, our rainfall for August is 3.4. The average, the 10-year average for August is 123.8 mils. So long way to go. And it feels like we've had a lot of water, but, you know, clearly... Clearly not enough. So yeah, there's some a nice forecast on the the horizon there, right? There is some warmer temperatures. There coming. is some nice temperatures, and we need those mm. days. And the last few days haven't they've been glorious? Have they not? Mm. Cold but glorious. Yes, know? and that's what you get when you get those fine days. It is colder, but we need it to sort our gardens out, dry out. It's got got a bit soggy there for a while. So absolutely, winter is here, and uh, it'll be spring before we know it. So make most of Every day. Okay, 94841927. Uh, we will be giving away in this hour $75 gift voucher sometime from the Green Life Soil Co. So uh, look out for that. But so far, we've given away the $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees, has been one, and the beautiful book Compost Coach has also been one. Uh, and the books morning. that we gave away. Last week, Ray, have Already? arrived this They're, week yes, so they I, can be collected yeah. from the station. Yes. That was Weekends with the Sunshine Gardening Society. They, they, that's a big book too. Mm. It's a decent read in there. So fabulous. Must be book time. Love, love all these books. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it gorgeous? Okay, I shall let you ladies talk. So, Karina, how does the weather affect slime moulds and what's mm. is now a good time mm. or what, what about the dry forecasts that we're having mm. with the warmer days. Well, you were just talking about how soggy the weather's been and I just think, well, that's that was marvellous for those of us out there hunting slime moulds. <laughs> that's slime, what you want. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I don't want it to warm up too quickly. No. But slime moulds, what they do in their feeding stage is that they, they, they can only operate if it's uh, very moist. Um, they like to live in dark, dank areas such as uh, the soil and under branches and leaves in the leaf litter. It's got to be moist because what they're doing is that they're eating bacteria and microfungi and things, organisms like that. How do they do it? They just engulf it. So the slime mould is one great big, well, some of them are very large, some of them are very small blobs, that's right. (laughs) And they just, it's in one large amoeba and it just moves along engulfing things that that it wants to eat, Um, algae, (laughs) um, microfungi, bacteria, etc. So it needs to be moist for them to be feeding. And then when conditions aren't great, they'll they'll fruit. Now, so you just think, well, what, you know, what's the point of a slime mold? Well, the point of a slime mold is, you know, how important fungi are because fungi decompose all that vegetative matter. And if we didn't have fungi, we'd be under what are they tall uh, kilometers of, of of debris. Um, it's probably a slight exaggeration. But the slime molds, what they're doing is, um, they're feeding on the bacteria that are helping to decompose, helping the fungi decompose um, uh, vegetative matter. So they're actually an important um, organism that allows the transition of nutrients from the breakdown of the the vegetative matter to organisms that little organisms can eat, such as uh, tiny mollusks and springtails and insects and things like that. So Mm -hmm. there's sort of a bridge between decomposing material and 
the next the, the rest of the web of life so there mm. the uh, little insects and invertebrates and, and organisms like that eat both the feeding stage the plasmodium they also eat the fruiting stage that's tucker for those guys so you get a tiny little springtail which is then eaten by a a slightly larger insect which is then eaten by a lizard and then etc etc mm. so they're just an important bridge um, yeah. between the decomposing and the rest of life yeah, just one of them though. There are other components do the same thing, so that's that's why they're important. How in the it works, how yeah. it works. Okay. Um, now Susie phoned in from Glen Forest, and she's got thousands of midges dead on the floor every morning from her indoor fiddle leaf tree. The plant is healthy. Should she be treating the plant? Midges, be fungus I, gnats. It does sound like it could be fungus gnats. But why would they be dead on the floor? Maybe they've completed their life cycle or they've come into contact or the the room has been sprayed. Yeah, I was just perhaps. thinking that. Perhaps um, it's been sprayed. So mm. I would say that that is probably the soil is too moist in the pot mm. and there are there's products that you can buy to counteract gnats. The best thing to do is dry out the soil. Yeah. Um, maybe put the plant outside and not water it for a little while. Mm. And at this time of year, it probably would be all right for a good couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you decide whether you want to apply a product. You can also put something on the surface of the soil. I think rocks, and I've also heard potato, is something that acts mm. as a trap for fungus gnats. And, but, and people say sprinkling cinnamon on top. Of course, yes. Yeah. Cinnamon, which is a, a fungicide and yeah. um, can repel insects. We do see fungus gnat larvae in the rotting bark. They're, they're quite interesting. Um, and the, But they're not good for the roots of plants. No, I was about and, to say there's destruction. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I would... For me, I would put it outside and let it dry out. It's a sign that soil is too moist. Mm, mm, most definitely. Mm. Okay. Uh, 94841927. Also, do you have more emails that we needed to cover or you did those? No, I've, I have actually done them, right? Okay, beautiful. Yep, all right. so that's all good. Just checking, keeping yes. the house, house in order. Very good. So, shall we get back to slow moulds? <laughs> of course, mate. <laughs> um, so, they... They're out now because the conditions are right. And when they're fruiting, how can people find them? Yep. I mean, yep. Okay, so if you were to go out into your little bush, bush, local bushland or even your garden, mm. uh, you will find, you may find slime, uh, the feeding stage, the plasmodium crawling across the leaf litter or the um, uh, wood litter that you may have in your garden. That You'll see them if they're coloured. So they might be yellow or white or maybe a pink colour. Um but they do most of the time you can't see them and they're just doing their thing and then when they've done their thing so it's not entirely sure why they fruit when they fruit but it could be that it's drying out if it's drying out they're running out of food uh, and then they'll fruit and that what they'll do is the, the slime mold will climb up to a drier area because it, what it wants to do is when it fruits it wants those spores to dry out very quickly so they can be distributed yes. um, by the wind, etc. Makes sense. Yeah. That's right. So they will then climb up to somewhere more obvious. Yeah. They might climb up to the top of the leaf litter or the edge of the leaf litter. They may climb up 
uh, start to climb up the log that's fallen on the ground and they'll fruit not necessarily on the top of the log because somehow they know if it's going to rain they'll get destroyed they'll tend to fruit on the Sides. side and just slightly under a log mm. so it's a matter of um, getting down uh, just actually just squatting down and just looking and getting your eye in because they're very small most of them are probably less than a millimetre, then there's a, a number of them that are up between about a millimetre and, say, two centimetres high. But Two centimetres yeah, high? Yeah, so they're the, like the, the chocolate tube slime mould. Oh, of course. Yes, and also the dog vomit slime mould can be quite large as well, and mm. they like to fruit towards the end of the wet season. So with this sun coming out and the, this, the leaf litter drying out, they're more likely to fruit now. And it's an unfortunate name, but it's true that when the feeding stage congregates to start forming the fruiting stage, it does look a bit like wet vomit on the ground. Mm. And then when it's finished uh, maturing, it has a, a nice hard limey top to it, which is often yellow, but sometimes a sort of a fawny colour to a white colour. And they can be quite large. They can be 30 centimetres across or they can be small. And you will see them in your garden. You've probably seen them before and thought, oh, I don't know what that is, mm. but it's a slime mould. So, so give it a tap on the top and spores will be released from within the, uh, the uh, limey cortex. And you go, yeah, I found my first slime mould. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I have I have seen them in my garden, the, the dog vomit one, in a worm farm and also right. on a mulch pile yep. and covering the verge Leave where litter. it's been uh, yeah, mulched. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, I found them walking down the shops, uh, walking to the shops and there's a tree that's been planted and there's some uh, bark mulch and there's some slime molds that have popped up there the, the dog vomit slime molds popped up so some of them are more obvious to see than others and there yeah. are some that uh will you're more likely to come across so for those interested what tools does one need to be able to identify and see these oh. little critters what do you, <laughs> I, I dare, i'm scared to ask what you use well to see them the mind I, boggles i wear uh, for those sewers out there who have got the glasses that um you could because i wear i wear uh, I'm short-sighted, so I wear glasses, but then that's no good for looking at things close up at my age. So I have a pair of glasses that sort of uh, cross that I, when I do my cross stitch, that flip over my glasses and allows me to see times two times three. So I can get my head in close. If I think I can see some speckles, that allows me to get in close. I also wear a head torch because, of course, it's often in a dark place or a shady place in your garden, uh, and a head torch. Um, they're the main things that I use. Uh, and she carries a basket like Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, I do. Which is often not big enough for yeah, the that's right. so pieces of wood hauled, she finds. Hauled, and be, yeah. Because you can't necessarily tell if it's a slime mold that you've seen. It's not till you take it back yeah. and look under a microscope. Now, for, for most of you, you, really you're just interested in the form and, and that you found one and how lovely it is. Uh, for me, if I'm looking for slime molds and I'm not sure if what I see is a slime mold, I will collect it and I will take it home and I'll look at under the dissecting microscope and ha and have a quick look and go, oh, no, that's a fungus. Chuck that out. No, that's a fungus. Chuck. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, that's a slime mold. Oh, that's lovely. Then I'll try and identify it. Now, identifying slime molds is a long, laborious process um, uh, because you do have to 
uh, be able to dissect it. And of course, it's less than a millimetre high. That's tricky. You need to blow the spores out. You need to put it on a microscope slide. We need to investigate the structures that are within a slime mould. So there, it's a lot of microscope work if you want to go down that little rabbit hole. As mm. Faye has found, she's needed to buy herself a microscope. Microscope, yeah. Et now I need another one. Yeah, mm. that's why you need two microscopes because you need the dissecting microscope and you need the microscope to look at the uh, spores, etc. Uh, under uh, on a on a um, microscope slide, okay. so it's quite involved. So really, if you see slime molds out there, enjoy them. You'll likely see the large ones. We just mentioned the dog vomit slime mold, and you'll likely see large colonies. So there's a lovely yellow one called Physarum verite. It's on a stalk. It's about well, it's less than a millimetre high or thereabout. A nice little sort of globular head or, or slightly flattish, but it it, it uh, occurs in large colonies. So you might see just a lot of little yellow specks on um, a log um, that's likely to be that that slime mold um, so some of them so it has it would need to be a large colony and colored so mm. that you could and it, it's seasonal mm -hmm. right <clears throat> absolutely so right now it's lots fruiting um, in fact last year when we went up to um, Margaret's place in Mundaring our we, Margaret right yes we yes. collected nine species on that little foray yeah. so they are everywhere at the moment we just can't see most of them. Um, and then as the weather warms up, um, you'll see less and less. But if the soil's damp, there's still moisture down there. The slime, there are slime molds crawling in the moist damp at the base of the leaf litter. It's not until the uh, ground completely dries out that you're not likely to see a slime mold. Mm. So you might think it's pretty dry out there, but they're, they're out there doing their thing. Well, one of the, the common ones I find quite easily is the white-footed slime mould that gets on the edges of the gum leaves. Correct. And that's, that's that's in patches. And another one that's easy to see is the red strawberry slime mould. And it looks like a, a red berry with lots of little dots. That's and exactly right. it's bright red. Uh, often it's the size of a 5 or 10 cent yep. piece. Yep. But then it changes that's so right. quickly. You know, it it emerges so quickly. So I try and go out early in the morning when it's still cool, mm. like when I'm finding fungi, the yep. the morning is the best. Uh, and then, of course, following up. Now, I have a log pile, I have to say. I've hardly had any fires in the house this year because Aww. I don't want to burn my wood. No, that's right. So, so the log pile and the stepping blocks where the kids sort of play on, that has been a host to a species that I thought was called moon poo. It comes up in a blob. Yep about the size of a five cent piece and it it appears initially white like a marshmallow or lightly pink and then it ages to brown and then it kind of hardens off and um i have right. a couple of species for you to take That's home right. karina well, i hate day. to be living in your house in janicott with no fire <laughs> when you have one That's of the coldest true. burbs in in the well, metro I, area I poor did, eddie i did clean out the study this week ray and i did uh part with some of my specimens oh. of bark so we did have a fire yesterday fantastic <laughs> How very, how very nice of you. Okay, now we are, of course, taking all gardening questions this morning. You may have a question for Karina, um, subject that we're discussing today being slime moulds and everything surrounding that identification of and appreciation of and, and their purpose in the whole eco-chain, if you like, 94841927. And don't forget you can email by going to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. We'll be back in a moment. Curtain Radio. 
22 minutes after nine, you're listening to Let's Talk Gardening on Curtin FM 100.1. Coming up at 10am, one of our absolute faves, George Linaldi with the classic 60s. So something to look forward to at 10am as well. We encourage your calls, your emails. We have special guest in the studio this morning, Karina Knight, Research Associate of WA Herbarium, Associate I should say. Tell me about your garden. We were just talking off air that you're a crazy gardener, lady like all of us. Correct. I love gardening. In yeah. fact, I come from a long line of gardeners. My, I remember both my sets of grandparents, uh, that was their thing. They gardened a lot. My, my grandparents in Tasmania, they had a huge veggie garden and a huge garden. Uh, and similarly with my, my mother's parents, but also my mother is a gardener. Um, Dad, Dad, if you're listening, he does a a good job. He knows what he's doing. But mm. I have to admit we're both struggling with, and we'll ask a gardening question after this, <laughs> with a particular plant that keeps dying. And are you a veggie lady or a flower lady? Uh, I'm a native garden lady okay. and a veggie lady. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty disappointed with my banana garden because all the trees next door, the roots have got in, and so I'm really going to have to disband with that vegetable garden, so that chops it down by a third. Mm. But I have a veggie garden with broad beans, um, bok choy, Jerusalem artichokes, sunchokes, nice. if anyone mm. likes them. I love them. Mm. You're joking because I have far too many. I've had, I've had like 20, 30 kilos. <gasps> and I keep trying to find people that want to eat them. Oh, yes. Ray, yes. you've got some. I'll oh, be dropping them off. No, no, absolutely. Love. <laughs> I grew too many plants. Gosh. Um, so uh, the Jerusalem artichoke, I bought a punnet of them last year from the shop and went, I'm going to grow these again. I love them. They're from my childhood. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I planted every single one of them. Every single one of them came up. Gosh. Every single one of them probably gave me 20 kilos of uh, sunchoke. So That's huge. It's huge. They just loved it, but they took over my veggie garden. But other than that, um, I, love, um, I love my native garden. Yes. I used to try and grow only WA natives, but that can be a little bit fickle. Um, mm, mm. Perhaps it's the soil conditions, I don't know. Um, you like true to type yes, natives rather than hybrids? I don't and... really like hybrids. I mm. prefer. Oh, look, I'm not, I don't like them. I just like, I prefer the real McCoy, quite yeah. frankly. Mm. Um, We're so, hybriding everything these days, aren't yeah, we? That's just right. Just about ourselves and, as well. Yeah. There's just not much left, <laughs> well, is there? Are. Yeah. Uh, I think hybrids are good if you want a successful native garden for some species, that's, mm. that's for sure. But um, I don't mind what grows so long as it grows. But that said, I am a little finicky. There are some species that are everywhere that I, I wouldn't have in my garden. But I love grevilleas. I do too. Mm, I Absolutely. love them because they bring the birds in. Mm. Um, and I sadly, sorry everybody, but I have two cats who are allowed out during the day. So a lot of dense... Grevilleas, spiky grevilleas, etc., help help the birds survive. Um, uh, so I, I I'm big on, and then out the back I have a pa- what I call my palm garden. So I okay. have um, lots of palms. So that's and, quite and diverse and things like that. Yeah, yeah I just love gardening. I yeah, love, I love being out there. And when you're gardening, you will find slime mold. So yeah. I have a friend who lives in Kendon up and she has too many daffodils. So she sent me up a box of daffodils, popped them in some pots, and I think she gave me a slime mould as oh, well. Lucky you. Nice. So lucky. So <laughs> in fact, on the top of the pot came up um, a, a slime mould that, that sort of took over most of the top of the pot. Um, again, you're just looking for dots. You're just looking for... And I look at looking at the daffodil, loving it, and then looked down and went, oh... What are those growing in the pots? And it was a beautiful, uh, what's called an arceria. It's a bit like a loofah on a stalk. So uh, the average person wouldn't have spotted that, you see. Uh, 
you don't think? I, um, because it was a large colony, okay. they may have seen it. But yes, you're right, Ray. It's you're like they're only about a millimetre. Yeah, they, well, they, I wouldn't have seen they it. They look, they see something different, yes. but they wonder and dismiss it. It's not on the radar. Yes. And I'm hoping that after today, mm. it will be on people's radar. They'll be out. They may be pulling out weeds and find some insect egg slime. Absolutely. Which look. It might look like corn growing on a stalk, That's for example, right. mm. yellow yeah, and that. small mm. kernels of corn. It yep. can be yeah. on your lawn or yep. weedy grass. You know, it just appears in front of you. And if you know that there are these things that are smaller than fungi but live in a similar environment often, take a photo and, and share it. That's right. Okay, um, I'm just having a look. Yeah, we can we can take this phone call. We're talking about frost damage to a cousin it plant. Oh, oh. Linda, hi. Good morning, ladies. How are you? Well, oh, well, hi. Thanks. Good, thanks, Linda. I'm up in Yanship and I'm quite close to the coast. And I've had two glorious, absolutely glorious cousin its for about two years. They've been lush. They've been emerald green. They've yeah. been fabulous. About a month ago, when we had that really cold weather, I think um, the wind, uh, probably the worst problem, and the cold weather has totally flattened them, and they're now pale shade of brown. Um, I'm just wondering whether I could bring them back or whether that's the end of them. To be honest, Linda, I I couldn't tell you. I'm not sure going forward if we're actually going to get more frost. I'm... You know, yeah. we've had it so cold and we've had mm. it multiple times. One year, many years ago, we had frost around May and again in October. So I'd be reluctant to to cut them back. I would just... I want to do it now. I was wondering more kind of October time, maybe November, but I'm just wondering if I can bring them back or do you think that's the end of them? I, string and we just have to wait and see. I think it's a case of wait and see. Um, I think the frost has done a lot of damage to a lot of gardens this year. Mm-hmm. And my advice to people out there is not to cut back now because potentially we could get more of it and then you'll get the next level down that, that can burn off. I'm mm-hmm. surprised that a cousin it has been affected by frost. I know. I mean, one day it was glorious and the next day it was very sad. And I can only assume, I mean, our winds up here are pretty foul. Pretty ferocious, yes. Yeah, Yeah, we had those really cold nights. And Mm. I'm just thinking, I know you don't normally get frost this close to the ocean, but obviously these two plants were in the wrong spot. Uh, Is Um, there anything else that could be? Was there anything else that happened suddenly? Were any plants around them affected and had they been in the ground very long were they well established oh they were well established as i say they were absolutely glorious i mean they cascaded down some um, pots they Mm. were a bright emerald green and they've been glorious for two years and they've survived winters it's not like it's uh, something new they haven't been moved um it was just literally an overnight whammy and i just thought it had to be the cold weather i couldn't think of anything I mean, I, I, when we're not on retic, I do water them by hand once a week, but they've survived for two years and they've been perfectly fine. Yeah. Mm. So if, if I leave them and, and wait and see, um, how would you bring them back? Would you cut them back and then maybe just give them a load of sea salt or a... Um, well, a I would, I would assess the pot. I would make sure they're not sitting in a saucer of water. Yeah. I would... 
try and uh, work out if they might need a bit of bigger pot if they've been okay. there for two years have they filled the pot and are they root bound do yeah do they need to go into a bigger pot um, okay. if if they don't look like they're getting better you probably have no choice but to get them out of their pot and in doing that you can assess their roots if they got too wet and the potting mix became muddy and boggy, then yeah. the roots could have rotted. I've, I've found that the winter that we've had the rain, some of my outdoor pots that are in the rain have become very, very wet. Mm. Yeah, We haven't had a lot of rain up in the Antrip. We haven't had anything like the rain. Uh, that okay. I mean, our rain's been minimal this year in comparison. So uh, I'm not sure it's over, you know, over watered. But I mean, all things are possible. But yeah. this year we've very little rain in comparison to Perth. So okay. um, I didn't think it was that. But anyway, I just thought I'd ask because I've never had them before and they've just been so spectacular and then literally... Curl up their toes overnight. Well, one thing that can happen with pots with with rainy weather, if the mix does get too wet and also yeah. if the roots clog up the drainage hole, you can end mm. up having a pot that actually fills up with water and the water Stays doesn't there. drain. That's true. Yes, I agree with all of that. Mm. Yeah, right. I'll just, I just thought there might be some magic potion. So, Linda, the other suggestion that I have is uh, if you were to contact, say, Xantheria Nursery, ask to speak to Claire Palmer because she's a little bit of a bit of a font and uh, ask for Claire Palmer and say, you know, you're talking to Curtain Radio and uh, have a chat with her. You know, these guys, Sorry. yeah. Sorry, could you give me that name of the nursery again? Xantheria. Xantheria. Okay. All right, I shall do that. Thank you so much for your help. As I say, I, I you know, everything you said I thought would be possible and I know you shouldn't cut them now, but it would be lovely to have them back again. Yeah, what do you think, Faye? I... Well, I, if it was mine, I'd be looking at the pot to yeah. see if I could work yeah. out the answer there. That's first. That's the first, first. thing. Like yeah. everything is a step. Mm. Do that first. Okay, I will. Thank you so much for your help. Right. And have okay. a, thank you. Thanks, Thanks Linda. Linda. And Carol phoned in. She's in Martin. Now, her geraniums are being savaged by caterpillars. What can she do? Uh, my go-to on this one would be Dipel or Caterpillar Killer. Yeah. It's a bactericide. It's organic certified. You buy it. It's a powder. You mix it up in liquid and apply it to the leaves over and under. under when yeah. the caterpillar eats the leaf, it ingests the poison and it dies over a period of a few days you need to reapply after rain yes, or irrigation yes. um, just on the note on the side of the caterpillars a lot of butterflies and moths have specific food plants the ones that are eating the caterpillars are probably not the desirable ones they might be the green loopers uh, the the adult would be the white cabbage butterfly or it could be a plume moth and what I would do as well is take away the leaves that have been eaten because you'll t be able to tidy up your plant and inspect for caterpillars that might be hiding under leaves or in the bottom of the plant and then monitor the new growth as well. Can you prevent it from happening rather than waiting for the damage to happen and then you go, oh, I have a problem? A barrier? Yeah. Hmm. But yeah. Gerani geraniums are are so tough I know they bounce that um, if you deal with the problem when it occurs, mm. we also have 
predators for caterpillars. So they're mm. food for birds mm. and lizards. Um, and there are parasitic wasps that will lay their egg in a caterpillar. So by not using chemicals, mm. we keep the food chain running. Mm. Yeah, as well. Okay. And uh, as you might expect, we have Margaret from Mondaring online. Of course we do. Hi, Margaret. How are you going? Good morning, girls. Morning, Margaret. Morning, Margaret. Lovely to hear the story about the slime mould, Karina. It's fantastic, the, all the detail that you've given us. I'm glad you're enjoying it, Margaret. My, my question is, um, my brother lives in Mount Barker and has a property, and I thought, I've been thinking, with, when I next go down there, if I happen to find any slime mould, can I send it to you in the post? Ooh, Would that be possible? That's a good question, Margaret. You'd... Um, you probably don't need to send it in the post. If you find it, um, sending in the post is problematic. Now, slime molds are very uh, fragile, um, and so they they would need to be um, once collected and once, um, if it's the fruiting body, once dried, it would need to be attached to some cardboard and then boxed to send up to Perth. Maybe you could explain the process of doing that. If I found some on a piece of bark, for example. Yes, that's right. So you would you would collect the bark with the substrate on it and let it dry. Just leave it on your kitchen sink or whatever until it's completely dried. And then stick it to just um, the underside with a bit of wood glue. Attach it to a, 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 bit, a little bit of board. And then pop that in a box, but t- fairly tightly so that the uh, board and the specimen can't roll around in the box. Um, So what we're trying to do is protect the top of the uh, slime mold so it doesn't get damaged. And then you you could send it to me or you could send it to the herbarium uh, addressed to myself. And then when it arrives at the herbarium, they'll uh, hand it to me. Um, Or alternatively, make some collections. Similarly, this time just put it in a box, but you don't need to stick it down um, because you're hand carrying it. And bring it up to Perth, and then and we can arrange to to do the handover. So, the main thing is to uh, not allow the fruiting body to get damaged in transit. Right. Oh, so wrapping it up in paper towels not suitable. No, that's right. So Margaret, for the the specimens at the herbarium, they have these little boxes. If it was a small specimen, something like a matchbox, matchbox would be perfect. And yeah. then yeah, you you're securing it to the bottom. Yep. Yes, so that it doesn't roll around and yep. you can then slide it out and it can be um, identified under a microscope and that's, done that that's way. A good, that's a much better description than mine. <laughs> Thanks, Faye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does that make sense, Margaret? Yes, well, that does. Thank you very much. That's have, fantastic. Have you been through your wood pile this year? No, I haven't. It's been so jolly cold and wet. Yeah. Well, Margaret, I've got a challenge for you because when we were up there last year, you you know, there was a world of fun to be had in that wood pile that Absolutely. had sat there for a lot of years and we were yeah. in our element. So when it's a warm day, I'd like you to go out there and roll over some of the wood. Inspect it. And um, have a look at what you can find. I'm sure you'll see white ones and pink ones yellow. and yellow ones and maybe red ones. Yep. Gosh, is the yellow fairly distinct from the white? Absolutely. It's a right. a brilliant yellow. Yep, that's right. Okay. Oh, that's good, good, good. All right. I have found some I have found some br- brilliant yellow 
fungus here. Not this year, I'm saying. But nice. The, very, very brilliant. Yes, yeah. That's fantastic. Thanks for that information, Karina. No worries, Margaret. Nice to speak well, with you. See what I can find at the, my brother's block. Yes, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Bye, Margaret. Margaret. Okay, and we do have free lines nine four eight four one nine two seven. I can give something away. Actually, how does that sound? That sounds like I think a great I might idea, do that right? rather than bottleneck at the end of the program. Seventy-five dollar gift voucher from Green Life Soil Co is up for grabs. You, as long as you're a Curtin FM member and haven't won a prize in the last 28 days, that is okay. Now, of course, Paul and Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co have a motto of delivering a greener garden and their philosophy is founded in permaculture. Green Life Soil Co promote biodiversity and sustainability. There's a wealth of information on their website. I encourage you to go and have a look at that, greenlifesoil.com.au, where you will find what you need to match all of your gardening requirements and much, much more. And I do recommend joining the monthly newsletter too. I love to have a read of that. Lobs into my email inbox every month. It's free and packed full of great information. So you can easily just join up on their website. Now, they specialize in custom mixed soils made on site. Many of their products are organically certified. And for the bigger stuff, Green Life do deliver. And they also provide courtesy trailers, which is very handy for those that, you know, might find that of interest. And a lot of their products come in bags too, which is also very handy for we, the smaller gardeners. We don't necessarily need a trailer load of something. A few bags will get us by, all, all depending on what your needs are. So, yeah, greenlifesoilco.com.au. Now, here's your true or false. Saffron originated in India. True or false? Saffron originated in India. Give Peter a call now on 94841927 if you know the answer. Okay, and we're also heading to Heathridge. Jane, good morning. Morning, Jane. Good morning. Um, I I was given a bale of hay. Now, it's just... Hey, you know, I don't know if there's any goodness in it. And I find um, it just doesn't break down in my compost or um, I've put it like uh, six inches of soil over it in the garden and it just sort of lays there. It doesn't, is it doing it any good? Is, is there any goodness in it? Mm. How thick have you put it in the garden? Uh, about two inches thick. Below the surface. Yes, yes. It probably something is happening, but it might be slow. It sounds like um, a matted layer, and so it would break down quicker if it was incorporated in. If it is straight hay, I would be wary that you may get a lot of weed developing from it, but it would work well in a compost um, added as the carbon addition to a compost. Okay. So, and no, when you when you do that, uh, adding layers and finishing off with yeah. that straw layer. So, if you're adding food yeah. waste, finishing off with a straw layer on top. All right, but I just find it, uh, yeah, it just takes forever to sort of break down, and uh, that I can turn it over or or that. Well, and a, if yeah. have you got a, a an actual compost pile or? I've got a compost bin. Okay. 
another thing that you can use is a compost key. And it's a, a yeah. simple wire or metal mechanism and you kind of screw it into your, your bin of compost and then you just pull it up and it just it allows air to go in and it brings what's down the bottom up to the top and it's a good way of turning it with not much effort at all. Okay, so you're saying it will get goodness out of... It will it will be doing a job. It just might be taking a long time. So it needs to get wet and then bacteria will grow on it. And actually, if you just left that bale of hay, there's a very good chance that you would have slime mould growing on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the slime mould isn't actually a decomposer. It eats bacteria, but the fungi will decompose. That's right. We have to All move right. on, Jane. I've got to go to a little break. All right, then. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Good luck. Bye. And we shall return in a moment. You're with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening. And we have our special guest in the studio with us this morning, Karina Knight, Research Associate WA Herbarium. And we have been talking about slime mould and everything surrounding that. Now, I can see a question on our screen uh, from Olga of Westminster, a rose tree question. But I can see you're also not online, Olga, so we can't actually speak to you. We don't know what that question is. So even actually if you ring Peter and uh, put the question to Peter, he can put it on the board and we can answer it if you like. Hmm. So I noticed when I was driving out of the drive this morning, I've got the first blossoms on my apricot tree. Interesting, isn't it? Well, you know, we're we're less than a month away from spring now. We've had some beautiful warm weather. True. Despite we got a fact, 25, didn't yeah. we, during the week? I and, guess so. Yeah. And this is um, an early fruiting apricot that I planted with a view to getting fruit before the fruit fly season kicked in. So that was a plan a long time ago. But I thought it's a timely reminder to give people the idea about when to prune. Now, what I would be pruning now other than roses would be the fig trees, which have lost all their leaves before they burst into new growth, the mulberry, Mm -hmm. because you can see the framework, there's not a leaf left on it, and grapevines. Great, great time to be pruning those things. With the apricot, I'll wait until the weather is drier and I can actually see where the fruit is forming. So mm-hmm. there, there was no rush to prune it in winter. And apricot is a tree that can be affected by fungal issues. Mm-hmm. So not one I want to prune when it is wet. But now that I can see where the fruit is developing, it's a good time to bring down the size of the tree so that it can be netted for fruit fly and birds. Otherwise, mm-hmm. You know, we won't get much at all, as well as starting to put some baits around. And uh, bud burst approaching, so people need to be thinking about spraying. spraying Yeah, well, too kind of too late for the apricot now Mm. because the buds have burst. Um, I I wasn't planning to spray that tree this year because it's been in good condition and not as no no reason for me to particularly spray it. Mm. Um, I'm not worried about insects on it because I haven't had a problem in the past uh, and the plum tree too will be getting ready so if people wanted to to spray that the copper spray or mm. lime sulfur before their buds burst and bringing their trees down to a size they can get a net on it to protect it from 
birds. Mm. Okay. So I have an ornamental uh, peach and I definitely, weeping peach, and I definitely need to spray her. Well, um, one you year need to... I didn't and yeah. yeah, I had very bad problems with the leaves. So leaf curl yeah. is one of the problems. Mm. Yeah, and so, then yeah. when you have it, you have it. That's yep. it. So it's very quite ugly. Now, look, we don't oh have a winner as far as I'm aware. We don't have a winner yet for the Green Life Soil Co. $75 gift voucher. I will give you that question again. True or false, saffron originated in India. Nine four eight four one nine two seven. Give Peter Kelly a call if you know the answer. Of course, you must be a Curtin FM member. And Jane has just phoned in. She'd like to talk about slime mold. Hi, Jane. Um, from I'm Joan. Joan. Um, okay, we yeah, just got I corrected. To yes. Talk to um, the lady because in the seventies I was setting up the biology um, experiments for Leadable Tech, and there was it was the web of life, and they had a slime mould, um, something to do with slime mould, and I had to order, I think it was from Hearn Hill, slime mould to um, use at, um, in the experiment. Now I've got to look, dig them up now and have a look and see what the Web of Life has talked about. That's so interesting. I have the Web of Life at home. I am now going to go home and investigate what was going on in there. Um, so you were, you were, sorry, did you say you were asked to order a slime mould? Yes, because I was the... Um, um, technician um, yep. setting all the experiments up. This was at Leaderville Tech okay. and they, they were doing them the, the whole course in one year and so we did a lot of experiments and that was one of them. And I think it was on blotting paper, I think, yep, that, 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 probably... that I got the stuff. Yes. And then I had to store it on blotting paper in an envelope or something like that yes. for future use the following year. It's it's it was probably um, Pfizer and Polycephalum. You can still order that online. It's the one that's often used in experiments such as um, maze hunting, uh, uh, etc. Apparently, it's relatively easy to keep going in the slime feeding stage. Um, they like to eat oats, apparently, and um, uh, and used for many experiments. So I I would suggest it was probably that species because I know you can still order that. You can order that online now. Mm. Okay. I, I wish okay. I could find one in the wild, though. They do grow in the native bushland, mm. and one or two have been collected uh, in the fruiting stage, uh, Kings mm -hmm. Park and a few places like that. But I haven't seen it. I haven't found it myself. So on. That's well, on my what would it have list. been in the? What would it have been on the the blotting paper? The... Oh, that that would have been the um. It's called a sclerotium. So what what happens is in the so was it sort of a yellowish webbish looking? No, that's in the early seventies. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it 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 could have been what's called a sclerotium. So so what occurs is that the feeding stage is is yellow and um is quite large and it'll be be feeding and then they they'll put it into sort of a dormancy where it hardens up. And um, and can can be shipped around the world on on, a, on your piece of blotting paper. It will have hardened up on the blotting paper, and then it's just a matter of putting the blotting paper back in a petri dish and watering it, and it will okay. it will take off very quickly. So slime molds have a range of um, ways of looking after themselves in harsh environments. Spore is one mm -hmm. because they're quite tough, but another one is what's called a sclerotium. So the feeding stage can go into a long dormancy, a long resting period. And I'd suggest that's probably what that was. Very interesting. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure, Joan. I've been interested and intrigued ever since.
Excellent. Oh, Joan, thank you <laughs> thank for your you. call. Lovely to hear from you. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank Bye you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Now, we do have another little break. Oop, what did I just hit? We do have another little break and uh, we shall return. 100.1 This is Let's Talk Gardening. George Minoldi will be joining you from 10am with the Classic 60s. Special guest in the studio. It's not too late to have a chat with her either. Karina Knight. We're talking slime mould identification and everything around it. Actually, if you've been tuning into morning, um, you, you will know the gist of our conversations and what we've been tr educating you with this morning. So we hope you have enjoyed that. Uh, Brian of North Perth is calling in and he's saying, can we mention the books we gave away last week? He is on, is he online or isn't he online? It's a bit confusing. Half and half. But okay, Brian, if you're listening, the books are called Weekends with the Sunshine Gardening Society and they're by Sophie Green. Okay. That we gave away last night. Week. That's what he's. That's what he's chasing. Okay. Now we also have a winner for the Green Life Soil Co. seventy-five dollar gift voucher. Mel from Les Murdy. Good on you, Mel. Uh, you will enjoy that. Let us know what you do with it. Uh, the question was true or false. Saffron originated in India. The answer is false. While it is not definite, most scholars believe it is from Iran. Though Greece and Mesopotamia, thanks, John, Mesopotamia have been suggested as well. Okay, but yeah, oh, jo jo yeah, John is—he's our—he's our boy. He's just a little bit different, isn't he? Well, he's very—he's very intellectual. Well, he is, and I—I um, I don't know where he's been googling, but I asked him to check on the sex life of Cassiorinas because for Linda of Yanchip, she's got two cousin its that have turned yeah, brown. Yeah. Now. One of the things about these plants is they're gym, gymnosperms, commonly known as conifers. So mm. the way they produce seed or spore, the female plants flower. So I don't know if she's got females or male plants, but when the female plants in this family flower, they actually go, they become brown and they're wind pollinated. So the wind then sets off their, their spores and it's picked up by the male. No, it's the other way around. Yeah, it's the male that'll go brown because it's um, it because the female will have the little cones. The so female will have the cones. Probably that's the, it's right. the male that's going brown because it'll it'll have lots of little flowers that you can't really see, and yeah. they're sending off. So thank potentially, thank you, that's Karina. What, potentially that. Could well, be that's what's some, and that you know, is something. I think something the boy and the girl can both go a bit brown, so it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter what sex it, it is. It could be that. Well, it could be. So, Linda, have a look. Just see if you can tell if you've got a female or a male out mm. there because they don't have girls or boys as such. They're female or male. But, yeah, could Some, be. something to look out for. the distinguishing features are from male to female? Uh, I don't know that you will be able to tell at other times of the year right? other than when they're sexually active. Wow. Yep. Okay. <laughs> We'll Be careful what you Google. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, gardening is tricky, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, the sex life, the sex of, life plants. of plants. You know, I know. David Attenborough know has there. done mm. videos mm. on it. Mm. I used to show the videos to my students when I was lecturing at TAFE, and you know, it's fascinating, it fascinating. how. How seeds are moved around. Sometimes mm. it will be on the fur of animals. Some are, yeah. are wind pollinated, germination, and you know 
the storage, all the energy that is packed into a seed that just sits there and waits there until the conditions are triggered for it to break dormancy. Mm. And then away it goes. It puts down its root and it puts up a shoot. And I it's wonder just we're magical. all enamoured with gardening. I mean, mm. it's just magic, isn't it? It is. Okay. It is fascinating. Now, to, to wrap up, uh, lots of interest in oh, Kate's book on compost, okay, as well. So that one is called The Compost Coach by Kate Flood. So that's just a message from Peter. So we're just mentioning the name of that book, The Compost Coach by Kate Flood, just out this week, guys. And he, he's done a great job Peter out Peter Cully, today. thank you very much. I know we throw you in at the deep end. That's what we do on The Garden Show. Uh, thank you so much and always to John Glidden as well. Did you guys have anything further to wrap up with this morning? Well, Karina, I just want to yes. wish you all the best your... on your trip to Estonia, putting yeah. Western Australia on particularly the on the map and for all the work that you do because this is groundbreaking and, you know... It's, it's... Certainly, certainly groundbreaking for Australia and, you know what, I'm so excited to just spend four days with a bunch of nerds just as like Oh, myself. you're in your heaven, Absolutely aren't you? in my element. Yeah. Um, and I've met a couple and I've met a couple online. Uh, and I just, I just want to talk, 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 slime. This words. network is going to be just life changing yeah. for you. It, it will um, be, and it's going to help me. It'll be uh, like a, a springboard to my next, the, what I'm doing next, yeah. um, because I'll have a much better understanding of slime molds when you're trying to study in an, yeah. in a vacuum, which is basically mm, yeah. what I've been doing. Um, to now be able to be sort of embraced by the slime mold community around the world. On a global level. Absolutely. Yeah, so, and you deserve the recognition and it's important to be recognised. Brilliant. In my opinion. Thank okay, Fakari, thank you very, very much. Uh, I think we're done and dusted for the morning. Another great morning. Lots of good prizes given away and some fabulous books as well. All right, where are we? My gardenism for the morning. Plants are like people. They're all different and a little bit strange. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Okay, Speak everyone. For yourself, Ray. <laughs> Classic 60s are next with George Minaldi. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Till next week. Happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.